La vendetta degli anni 80 ragazzi, è stato valutato Piper Podcast. Herren, wir haben ein Problem. Ne vous inquiétez pas Yann. Mon nom est Monsieur Léon. Et assis à côté de moi, c'est ma femme. Bonjour. Et à ma gauche tirage des photos de belles femmes exotiques et Justin. Il mio nome è Justin. Punto. I. Deve andare via molto presto. Haben Sie einen Stand mit Michael bei Vida? Okay, okay, stop the tape, stop the tape. I think we've all heard enough. Gentlemen, this is a real problem. I can't believe those sleazy Europeans have gone and nicked our podcast format. It's stuff like this that gets people voting UKIP in the first place. Anyway, plagiarism accusations aside, gentlemen, what do you propose we do about all this? I must be away, unfortunately. You're going already? We just started. You see, the thing is, I have a theory that someone maybe sold them this format. I was was just wondering. I'm really enjoying this, but it's just getting to the the juicy stuff. So, yes. So, uh, goodbye. Did he just parkour his way out the building? What's going on? Well, it appears that uh, Justin has sloped off, but uh, as, as my French counterpart said, I, I was joined by the wife. Hello. And uh, yes, this we are here to discuss. Uh, it's, it's difficult because we're not just going to discuss like foreign movies. Uh, and in fact, most movies from the point of view of wherever you're sitting in the English-speaking world are foreign, you know. But what we're really going to concentrate on is those uh, genre movies of a subtitled uh, or dubbed nature, when they're released in the year that they pass by, I go, really, was that released that year? I didn't get to see that for about three years after that. And then, of course, three years pass and and it's not on the list anymore. So we're going to sort of pay pay homage to to those uh, moments of uh, we've actually uh, all of us grown up at a very interesting time because in the late 70s early 80s would someone have a stab at, at describing for for for, for me the, the general milieu of foreign cinema at that time in the sort of Oh, yeah, you had kung fu movies. Yes, of course, they were badly doing well. Well, I had, I had a friend who was seriously into his anime, so I had a very thorough anime diet during the 80s and 90s. Ah, uh, well, no, but I'm talking early 80s. And yes, there was in the early 80s, but it didn't start to really migrate. I mean, we got Battle of the Planets, but then that was rejigged. It was well, kind of Battle of the like we got, we got lots of dubbed children's programs. You know, we had Dogtown. There was, there was a few kind of dra- like serial dramas that we came over from Europe that were dubbed. It was like one, one was called Silas about I don't know this kid in the olden times. Uh, there, there was things. Oh, was a, there was the famous the famous serialization of Heidi, which everyone remembers the theme of, tune. I remember there being a lot of very dark, dry things. Um, Moomins. No, things like horrors and things like that as far as films were concerned. Like, give me an example. Lots of weird Italian ho- horrors. Ah, right, okay, like yes. Um, when it came to genre movies, the Italians and the Spanish, uh, yeah. well, more the Italians than the Spanish, 
uh, anything that came from Italy uh, in this vein was called Spaghetti X, uh, most famously Spaghetti Western. Um, but of course, the Spaghetti Westerns weren't seen as foreign films because they had Clint Eastwood in them uh, or, or, or indeed Charles Bronson. There was like um, shooting. There was always and... a lot of dearness about a lot of them. Yes, well. Always, they were always quite, you know, as a down. As, as the old sketch show mocked the spaghetti western you know man walks into a bar you wanna talk slowly oh slowly (laughs) very slowly you know that's that's i mean because obviously they were making it it had to be mostly visual um and then Sergio Leone kind of realized that you could do all this stuff with like twitching hands and eyes sliding left and right and doing all yeah. that and, and great vistas so yeah that so i mean but the point is but people there are also a lot of horrors from that kind of genre as well yes, Dario of... Argento yeah. giallo and stuff i never really got that hmm. to be honest uh, growing up, I mean, I think spaghetti westerns, good, the bad, and the ugly. Just about the only thing I would have been exposed to, because that's just that's what my dad would watch. He'd watch those, uh, but generally speaking, no, we weren't really a kind of you know what? watch for. Let, let's watch a subtitled film, family. Yeah, we covered a lot of things that would be dubbed, but I don't know. Maybe this is just me then. My uh, experience of things with subtitles at that time. For me, it, French subtitled things were generally French. There were a few Italian uh, subtitled things that I knew they existed, but um, I never actually bothered to Fellini and that kind of thing. And of course, uh, the Seventh Seal—that was a Swedish, wasn't it? Swedish yeah. Seventh Seal. Yeah, never saw that either. But in in all cases, it was all about you know it, it went on a scale from being incredibly grim, black and white, and depressing, and just just having people like you know muttering things and 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 just being really you know sad to um like at the other end of the scale you would have things people looking fabulous and smoking and having unhappy love affairs and yeah, there wasn't really like, it's people... a shame justin isn't here because there was a lot of noir things going off at that time if i remember rightly as well there was a lot of like Tipping hats and uh, well, smoking in the corner. You see, it kind of went kind of crimey things going. Ah, on. well, you see, that's kind of a tip both ways thing. You see, uh, French expressionist cinema influenced film noir. Yeah, hence it being called film noir. And and yeah, French expressionist cinema had a lot of light and shadow and stuff yeah. like that. And um, I mean, it was all very moody. Yeah, but it, it it wasn't really. You know, if somebody fired a gun, it was because. You know, they'd had as much as they were going to take, and they couldn't take no more, and they were going to shoot their lover or their husband or their husband and their lover. It's interesting though that you, as as you came from the French perspective, I got a lot of as as the Japanese action movies that were so bad, and they were very bad, and a lot of the spaghetti westerns. But that was my grandfather's fault, and I also got a lot of the horror, horror. You know, I like horror. Spaghetti, yeah, spaghetti westerns. Yes, absolutely. No. No yeah. arguments there. Yeah. Um, but, but that uh, old Italian horror and those old, you know, those things that people now look back on and go, how did this ever get made? You know, kind of stuff. And you sit there going, well, actually, at the time, that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, yes, Giallo was very interesting before 
I mean, you know, in a way, you could say that uh, people who, who that slasher cinema grew out of yeah. the idea of, of you know giallo uh, stuff, yeah. uh, which was kind of an Italian thing. But yeah, I mean, it, it was it, the idea was that, that you know until later in the eighties, there was no point at which you were like, "Wow, that really exciting foreign." action movie it it just didn't happen and the first time that it did kind of happen like in a big way in the west well it was kind of double things first of all anime started to leak from japan into america and thence to the uk and i'm probably the, the sort of cornerstone of that movement was uh, akira getting shown in all the cinemas um and then the other side of that was uh jean-luc uh, jean-luc Luke Besson. Jean-Luc Picard. Jean-Luc Picard. No, Luke Besson um, doing Nikita. That was the first big French action movie that, that, that came out. Did you see Nikita, the, the original French film? Yes. yes. And how did you feel about that? It was all right. Yeah. It wasn't that I think, interesting to me. I think in retrospect, people kind of went really... They raised an eyebrow at this movie because it did have like rocket launchers and 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 killing people and action scenes and stuff in it, and it was a French movie, and that just shows you how boring French cinema was perceived to be. That a fairly mild uh, thriller with a couple of stunt moments in it yeah. was held up as this great thing. I mean, if you compare this with with the kind of action quotient of Taken, also you know. Uh, un film produced by Luc Besson, you'd be like, really? Okay, fair enough. Uh, you know, it's fairly mild stuff. Of course, uh, I, I've never seen this, but Luc Besson before that did uh, Les Derniers Combat, which was uh, a post-apocalyptic thing that I would like to see at some point, but but haven't. But yeah, I mean, essentially, that's what, I mean, this is the first time that it's Wait, crept into our consciousness. Well, uh, we've both seen Akira, haven't we, Ian? We have. I was going to comment on, on Nikita, and the thing that crystallises in my mind is comparing the American version to the uh, original French. And it, it all crystallises for me in the moment. In the original French version, she's you know suddenly summoned into the field and made to put on a maid's dress and delivers a picture to you know into into a hotel room uh, with a with with a listening device on the other side of the jug. She does that, it's a moment of tension, and then it's over, and she sort of walks away and goes, oh. Well, that was when you should have this quick dip into that into that world because they needed a, a pretty woman in, in a maid suit to deliver the bugged jug with the microphone on it. American version, same thing again. She delivers you know, the pitcher of water or coffee or whatever it is and on the tray wheels in, says goodbye, off she goes. She's walking to a car, suddenly the top floor of the hotel room explodes! And it's like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Anyway, yes, carry on. Akira, you were going to say. Yeah, I mean, so the other part of that is that anime started to come across, and it's like, uh, I mean, everyone, uh, I think, of our generation had that experience of having an anime playing somewhere. I remember distinctly, and you must remember this as well, Ian, because it was when we were in college together. We went on a field trip somewhere. I can't remember where it was. It wasn't the Peter Greenaway exhibition, was it? No, it was the field trip where we went on the coach. We went to uh, Momi. Oh, in London. right, yes. And uh, one of the lads in our class, um, he was well into anime, and he convinced the bus driver to put the first volume of Crying Freeman 
on the... Uh, oh, that's field. right. Yes, I, yes. And I've... she's just going, this isn't much like Scooby-Doo, is it? As blood poured across the screen and women with large breasts jiggled their way through the... And, you, and they're there. It's just like that. So we, we all have that I, I, experience. Sorry, but my, my friend who was into anime and collect these things, and he probably started with Akira as I, I was his gateway drug. Some of the films he was showing me, I saw you, that film was tame. I, I was oh, yeah. given a thorough education <laughs> on, on, on the psyche of, of the Japanese uh, anime oh, yeah. fan. Uh, the, the first hentai to get the uh, full treatment of being an anime was Orotsuki Doji. Oh, my goodness. Oh Giggling yes, he he got a... he got the uncut Japanese version as well. My God, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> high qu- It's it's not just tentacle porn, guys. It's high quality, grade <laughs> A, triple A quality animated tentacle porn. The thing is with tentacle porn is once you've seen one set of tentacle porn, you've seen it all. Get over it. No, there's always some new and interesting way in which the demon explodes the woman when he climaxes. It's quite (laughs) visceral. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 in many ways probably. I mean, I'm imagining this lad probably had that in his uh, anime collection. In fact, I'm almost certain that he did. But he thought, crying Freeman probably don't want to blow anyone's mind. <laughs> yes. Quite. Oh, it's like, uh, no, <laughs> we're that on that, a coach trip. Definitely. Is that thing of, of yeah? Is that thing of? Oh, I remember cartoons. They were like Bugs Bunny and stuff. <laughs> um, and we've obviously we've been through that now. <laughs> People are fully aware, or at least tangentially aware. They are aware that the Japanese make weird cartoons at this stage. Everybody got and that meme moment. Where have you been? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Whereas <laughs> at that time, you could actually sideswipe relatively normal people who just weren't in touch with fringe culture by just putting on an anime. And I mean, Akira, of course, is sort of like the Citizen Kane of uh, of anime. Uh, so. That sort of uh, they um, kind of, of spoil us and make us think that everything they had to do was, was they had to offer was going to be some kind of uh, majorly artistical gem that was highly philosophical and and beautiful to look at in a grotesque way, uh, and and yet this is not always the case. I mean, they do pump some things out as well. But it, it, was, um, it, was, it yeah. was good to get the cream for a few years. The thing is that. Um, Oh, I've still got tentacle porn in my head. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, took, and the thing is, because they were all released under, under the label of manga, and it took it, it took quite a few years for people to get reeducated into calling it anime, and manga was comics. Yes, uh, I mean, so yes, it, it, basically, there were yes for a few years. It was so expensive to do that people didn't bother to do anything that didn't have some kind of intrinsic merit. And at this time, uh, we're in a, a, a blessed situation uh, for anime fans where everything in all of its original, you know, television series is the lot is just, you know, handed over lock, stock and barrel to us. Uh, and I've still never watched Ghost in a Shell standalone complex, which I probably should at some point because yeah. people keep telling me how fantastic it is. But yes, Ghost in the Shell was obviously the second after Akira. It was like, oh, Akira, Ghost in the Shell. And so on and so forth. Uh, but yes, it was hideously expensive. That was one of the things about it. And also kind, kind of unresolved as well, I felt, when I got to the end of the movie. It's like, ah, well, you see, the thing about it It's is part of an ongoing, ongoing comic book series, I imagine. Well, I had, I had it explained to me in the commentary of one anime. I believe it was Blood of the Last Vampire. They don't attempt to do the whole thing 
the anime serves in a way as a kind of an advert so that if if you enjoyed this anime then you will enjoy the manga that goes with it so off you go and go and read a book so the anime is almost like sort of merchandising that surrounds the manga but that's the way that the japanese culture works out so so yeah we've been through nikita and then we've been through akira and various other uh, anime things we could just sit here naming anime that we enjoy uh, maybe or i could maybe a few more but we're not going to do that it said fast forward just a few more years and then we had um, the twin moments of, of, first of all, Robert Rodriguez and El Mariachi. Am I the only one that's seen El Mariachi? No, I haven't seen it. No, I haven't seen it either. Uh, who's seen Desperado? seen Desperado? I've seen Desperado, I think. I think yeah, I've seen Desperado. Basically the same thing, although El Mariachi is, is like his... He made it for famously for $7,000. And the entire intention of El Mariachi was to be put out on the um, Mexican home video straight-to-video circuit just to make a bit of dosh back. And it turned out it was so good, it propelled itself into the US and then further on as a sort of arty action movie. Um, or at least, you know, it, had, it was fresh visual style and, and all of this stuff. The, I mean, one of the things on the DVD or the eventual special edition DVD releases, uh, Robert Drug is showing you how he managed to do economic filming. And let's not forget, at the time that El Mariachi was made, digital cinema didn't exist. And now Robert Rodriguez fully embraces the advantages of digital filmmaking in, in such a way that, as you know, Sin City famously filmed in his garage against a green screen you know that's he's like why do expensive location shooting why shoot on expensive film stock why not just put it all together it's got to be new it's got to be this but this had to be filmed obviously on normal film stock and and what the commentary to once upon a time in mexico which is kind of like essentially it's sort of like a, a, a mirror of the spaghetti western fistful and good and bad and the ugly trilogy that kind of thing that leone did that he did el mariachi desperado which is essentially a remake of el mariachi on a slightly higher budget with antonio banderas and then once upon a time in mexico which kind of concludes the mariachi sequence in this kind of over-the-top fest and in uh, the once upon a time in mexico special features uh robert rodriguez talks about how wonderful it was to be able to do all of this stuff digitally because it meant for example that johnny depp turned up to do once upon a time in mexico because he didn't need to book johnny depp's time for any longer than absolutely necessary and and the confidence that comes with that but yes el mariachi was was something that did the circuit and kind of partnered up with uh, pulp fiction so that gives you a sort of a idea of the time that it came out that it was seen as you know oh the mexicans those crazy mexican type people they're up to this as well so here we go and shortly on the heels of that guillermo del toro broke cover with chronos which we've already discussed that Justin hasn't seen, which is incredible to me, because it's one of those things that you'd think he would have seen. And you haven't seen Kronos either, have you? Ian? Have you seen Kronos? Yes. Yeah, and I, I, good. What did you think of Kronos? I like Kronos. Yes, it's sort of a vampire, yeah. weird vampire thing. It kind yeah, of... I, I, I saw Kronos because vampires, you know, this, yeah. is, this is what you do. You go, oh, vampires, I don't, you know, this horror girl, I like vampires. I went, oh, vampires, and that's what I did. And 
Yeah, found well, you, it visually quite good. It's part of a sort of loose trilogy yeah. with the Devil's Backbone yeah. and Pan's Labyrinth. Well, I like Del Toro anyway, and I like his visual style, and I like his the way he shoots things, and I like I kind of like how dark he makes things, but also how fairy tale he makes things, and I like that. That to me is like how things should be. So yeah, I like Del Toro anyway. So yeah, I you know it made me go out and watch. Well, I told you to watch Devil's Backbone and things like that, and you know that's. It, it was strange. It is a strange thing, though, because if if Del Toro is helming a, a project, that usually means that it's going to be worthwhile going to see it. But then the the phrase Guillermo Del Toro presents has a far sketchier. No, I like some of the stuff he presents that you don't. Yeah, what did you like? Oh, you like, like the don't don't be afraid of the, the dark. dark. I like the don't be afraid of the dark with the. Things in the house, I like that. Yeah. I thought that was good. But there was another one that he presented that you were like, mm, well, was right. and then I thought it, I thought it was great. Well, of course, Ian famously likes you like the orphanage, don't you, Ian? Yeah, I it, like it, the it by surprise because I was just trapped on a boat for a week, and it was like, oh, I'll watch this to kill some time, and being very thoroughly entertained by a somewhat spooky movie and tragic as well. Yes, yeah, see, I like the orphanage. I think the orphanage is a beautiful story. Right. See, I think it's a great story. Again, very well shot, very beautiful, very, you know, great story. I like a ghost story. I do like a ghost story. I think that's one of my weak spots. I think there's certain things that certain people get right. And I think Del Toro, you put Del Toro, whether it be presenting or whether it be, you know, him directing, and you know there's going to be like a dark fairy tale underlining to it because he has this fairy tale vision. And it gives you that kind of ghost story or that kind of fairy taleness or that kind of mythologiness, and I like that. I kind of like somebody who mm. takes that time to craft that. I can't be doing with people who just want a good scare and a slash. I want, I want something that's been thoroughly taken care of. And things like the orphanage, you can see how well taken care of that story is, and that's the whole, the whole idea of that is. If you get what I'm saying, even Mama, Mama, I liked because it's well taken care of. Yeah, but then at the other end of the scale, you have well taken care of. You have what's it? Uh, Julia's eyes, was it? Yeah. You remember that? The one about yeah. the woman who is losing her sight. Yeah. That was terribly tedious. But there we go. But there we go. So that's the patchy world of Guillermo del Toro. Sometimes good, sometimes not so good. Uh, while we're on the subject of Spanish language uh, oddities, we watched a movie not so long ago, uh, which probably a lot of other people haven't watched, called uh, Time Crimes, if you remember that. Yeah. Time Crimes is a terrible title for a movie. It sounds <laughs> like it's going to be utterly awful and without any kind of... And to be fair... It's not the world's best movie. One of the things that delighted me about Time Crimes is that it was one of those little encapsulated time travel movies which people who get their hands on a video camera at college, you know, like to make, where it's all one location. And then, you know, there's a guy by himself and he sees someone moving in the bushes, but he's not sure who it is. And then later on, after he goes through the time machine, he discovers that was him in the bushes. He was looking at himself. Um, and all that is like time. a film you make in college. You're dead right. Yes, it's very much like several of the films that we made in college. So, yeah, I mean, basically, all this weird stuff happens to him at the beginning. And then it turns out that he was responsible for all of it through a series of time travel based misdemeanors 
So yes, that's definitely a, a sort of a, a weird little offshoot of foreign cinema that just didn't really go anywhere. But uh, I, I felt it was worth a mention. Yeah, I mean, because after, after Guillermo del Toro broke, um, it was not very long before you started to get... I mean, at the same time, of course, you got that Hong Kong cinema. So people were getting the idea that, you know, Japan... Well, Hong was... Kong cinema and things like that had gone from being very, very flaky, almost like, you know, Monkey the TV series... Well, that was Japanese. That well, was you know what I mean, but oh, that, I'm not about that whole kind of, you know, Japanese. You're talking Hong about Kong. you're talking about Godfrey Ho stuff, like uh, of yeah. course the uh, Sainted Ninja Terminator. That kind of thing, you know, that kind of it's almost like a joke of a kind of, mm. you know, it's almost funnily bad kind of. Yeah. Done. It's gone from that kind of stuff to almost some of the most beautifully shot scenes you could Doves. ever see in your, you know what I mean? And it's like, hold on a minute, where did this come from? Slow motion. No, but it is a bit like, where did this come from? How, how did you get from there to there? Where did, where did this come from, you know? Toothpicks. Um, but these are all the things that are in the thing. <laughs> Chow young fat. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, you know, got the killer and the um, hard-boiled coming out of that time. Now, the interesting thing about that is it's yet another case where, because the first things that leaked through were like the killer and hard-boiled and, and stuff like that, Um it became this thing of like, oh, well, like, it's all going to be like that. It's all going to be. And then, of course, you realise that Hong Kong, again, outputs a bunch of stuff and not all of it is is of a quality. So sorry about that. So, yeah. and, and but, but, yeah, there was a definite feeling, a movement in the 90s. And the Internet only sped this up, really, of, you know, oh, now things, you know, now we can watch cinema from all around the world. And, of course, uh, this brought us to the point where the Japanese brought us The Ring, uh, yeah. which we have discussed before, The Ring, Dark Water, that whole Hong Kong, Japan, horror, Asian horror market type thing. Some of them are amazing. Some of them, again, are, I mean, Newspaper of Terror. Oh, God, why? That was, why? Cool. That was a film that was, uh, the Western title was Premonition. Oh, God, why? Uh, yes, there is at one point a car chase in which a man is trying to escape it's a fluttering fluttering piece of newspaper driving down the road away from this thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, seriously, come on, get over it. You know, it's like, you know, there's certain, there's certain ones that are just ridiculously stupid and terrible, but there's some that are absolutely genius and brilliant and, you know, terrifying. You know what I mean? I think there's a point to which it is... It, I mean, necessarily, this film has... I these mean, films. Ian says he likes a good ghost story. There must be some Japanese... Well, yeah, there. Right. Ian, your favourite pick? Uh, you've obviously seen uh, The Ring. Uh, I've seen The Ring. Um, there's one, I forget what it is. Damn it, because there was... Because The Ring came out, there was suddenly a little cluster of these things that came out, and they all kind of, in my head, have got, these days have got bunched together. But is it, was it the one with the eyes? Is it one because she she sees ghosts, but the ghosts are quite stylized. Yeah, yeah the ghosts are very stylized, and one of them she sees uh, a woman coming to like a, a butcher's, holding a baby, and it's clearly a ghost. And she comes for like a, a piece of meat that's turning, and a long tongue comes out and licks it, and then she goes away again. Oh, I know, I haven't seen that. One. Oh, I haven't seen that one. So there's, yes, I, I, I liked how ghosts were because it was like an intense period where a lot of these things were, and then it seemed to seem to go. Um, which was a bit bit sad, really, because I was like, "Whoa, this is this is this is revitalizing horror for us." Well, it didn't go so much as uh, people stopped pointing it out. I mean, you can mm-hmm. still 
find what's the latest. I mean, there's so many of them now that, you know, you get all... Sometimes you get a, a hit, sometimes you get Battle Royale, and sometimes you get whatever Tale of Two Sisters. That was incomprehensible. It's like Western horror, though. It's 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 the same thing. Sometimes you get something really good, and sometimes you get you know Takashi Miyake, mm. uh, who, who maker of Itchy the Killer and uh, Audition, and yeah, there's basically uh, this guy. Uh, if for those of you that don't know, which probably everybody uh, here can present me, basically Itchy the Killer particularly was from a a, a very extreme manga, and. You know, they were the fans of this stuff were like, "You have to see this; it's incredible. It's so extreme." And you watch it, and there is a lot of gore in it, but you're like, "It doesn't make any sense." I'm not watching something where there's loads of gross-out violence just because there's gross-out violence in it. You know, what we have to remember is that what we get is curated to a certain degree, anime less and less as time goes on, but. Um, you know, people have to select these things and push them onto us because you have to do a dub or you have to do subtitles. And then sometimes you understand it and sometimes you really don't. Like Sky Blue that we watched, it was only about an hour and ten minutes. And most of it was a bit like, I don't really understand what's going on here. But then it had these couple of sequences where you were just like, wow, this blows my mind. And then you understand why they did Final Fantasy VII Advent Children, but at the same time, Completely incoherent. Was that then look at the pretty dragon? Yes. Never mind the plot. Look at the beautiful CG graphics. No! I, I know you insist the dragon didn't die, but I've, I've seen the original theatrical release. I've seen the director's cut. The dragon does die in both versions. I'm sure of it, because he doesn't does the Omni Slash. He's a famous attack from the video game to kill it or something. I've got no idea. Right, the point is, you could be right. It, it, it just definitely helps to have seen the video game, but even then, the plot is 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 it's like... But this is the thing about Japanese films, I, I, generally, even the anime, it was something was so philosophical or, or so into their own kind of philosophy about how this world works or whatever, or, or emotional balance or what have you, that you kind of come away feeling a bit like bemused, going, did they overthink it? I think they did. I don't quite get it. There was an awful lot of I don't quite get it going on, but a definite feeling that you, you'd approach something quite large and momentous. I remember Final Fantasy being very much... Switch from this scene, helicopter flying in. Isn't the helicopter gorgeous? Yes, wonderful. What's going on? I don't know. Let's have the dragon. Right, okay, what's going on from the dragon? I don't know. Now they look at this scene with the sword. Yeah, but I what the hell is going off? <laughs> so I remember a lot of that kind of me going to Leo. Do you know what's happening? And Leo going, no, do you? And I'm going, no. <laughs> Looks nice, though. <laughs> I mean, one of the things about it is I think that the people who, who do curate this stuff for us obviously watch a lot of stuff. And, and bearing in mind the fact that what we're getting is anything that has piqued their interest to sufficient degree that they think, oh, let's give this a Western release. You must wonder what kind of things they watch that don't make the cut. It's <laughs> just like, okay, that's just really weird and not even in a good way. So, um, yeah, I mean, so that that's what basically the East has become this place where uh, – we expect to see uh, lots of gore, ghost stories, philosophy, weird things that don't and make any sense. And action films. I mean, especially yeah. now, because, I mean, as the time's gone on, I mean, we say about the 90s, but as the time's gone on, we've got even further into action with the East. Because not just Japan and Hong Kong, but Thailand. And, oh, yeah, of course, yeah. You know, other countries over there have gone, oh, of course. oh wait a minute, we can do this now. Well, of course, well. The Raid made a big splash a couple yeah. of years ago. Now, Ian, you can't possibly be telling me that you've not seen On Back 
or Warrior King. I have not seen On Back or Warrior King. What are these films? I've never oh heard of them. I have never heard of them before in my life. These are these are films that that you must you must see uh, post text. Well, the thing is, when you gave me the pitch for this episode, there was a definite feeling of this is going to be a hard one for me because I have no objection to foreign films. I have no objection to subtitled or dubbed films for that matter but the question is when do they come up because no one in my immediate circle is into these films i do have a friend who is italian and occasionally if i visit him in his mother's house an italian film will be on but it'll be a classic thing from the 60s it's probably a musical uh so it's i've got no kind of peer cross-pollination going on or personal recommendations when it comes to seeing these things on my own toilet it's an effort to get down to watch the western stuff to go see european stuff down my local multiplex because the audience is smaller what they do put on they tend to put on in the gold class cinema where the seats are very expensive but admittedly rather comfortable so and also i don't have netflix so unless the local blockbusters stocking up something and and i have and i and i'm aware that it's there there's no chance of me seeing a film. The last foreign film I saw was about eight years ago. It was called, I forget what the original name is, but the translation is Thug. And it's a South African film. That was eight years ago. So when you say, you talk about films, that foreign films you remember, I'm, I'm remembering things I saw perhaps 15, perhaps 20 years ago, like yeah. when I was in college university. Because you're in university, you're in university with lots of art students, so there's plenty of foreign films knocking around you can borrow up people's shelves because it's their new treasured, precious thing. So I saw things like Run, Run Lola, Run Lola. When next over, we're basically going to make him watch a lot of foreign films. Well, so, but the thing about it is, there's an issue here which is quite interesting, which is that when it comes to things like... Uh, uh, anime, uh, Bangkok Dangerous, Ong Bak, all of these things, you're actually, you know, geographically closer to the sources of these movies than we are, and yet you have no way of watching these movies, uh, particularly without, you know, specifically buying them. And the other part... Or breaking it, them well, off. Yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, I understand, of course, that Australia is very concerned about piracy as a country. Yes, as a country, yeah. that's sort of yes. Well, as as a, it, it, Games of Thrones is the most pirated TV program in Australia, not just the world, because it's so hard to get hold of here. The only way you can watch in Australia is to subscribe to the channel. That's it. That's, that's one way. There's no other way to get it. Thing, I mean, that it seems ridiculous to me that the country that you know, the English speaking country that seems to have the you know, it, it seems to be like Australia, America, Australia, England. Australia is in, enormously insular. That's the thing you've got to realise about it all. I mean, you know, of course we get American imports over here. You can think finances are, are multiplexes, we village cinemas and what have you. So, yeah, it is It is a large body of American films and, you know, some British. And a, a, few, a few, a few, a very few Australian films, and that's, and that's your lot. Yeah. Yeah, no, but what I'm trying to say is, of the countries that are concerned about piracy in order of care, Australia is at the top, then the United States then Britain, and then Canada's like, oh, well, we rather you didn't, but, you know. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I think it's, it's not so much that they're concerned with Paris. I think Australia is quite nannying, because we have, we have, we are the most governed country in the world in terms of the number of parliaments that we have. I mean, this is the country that want, wanted to put in the big internet switch to turn off all the porn. 
this is the country that can't we can't have graphic violence in video games despite a certification system because a child might watch it. Well, what's the point of having certificates then? Yes, well, it's exactly the thing. It's like, and yet, the, the one proven thing that lessens piracy, which is having decent access through time-shifting streaming portals. No, we don't have any of those. Well, yeah, well, the thing was, you can you can you can watch films on YouTube for a limited time if you're prepared to pony up like four four dollars or what have you. So the means are there. If if you know if I was sufficiently well, that's motivated, that's a per viewing charge, isn't yes, it? Yes, yeah. Well, I think it may be per viewing. It may be like a, a, a license to watch it in, in, in a window. But um, I, oh yeah, no. I mean that's how it works with per viewing. But essentially, it's per viewing. I mean, if we when I rented in the Mount of Madness from Amazon Prime, I got forty eight. You were forty eight hours to watch it. Go or from when you start watching yeah. it or something. You know, it, it, it expires. But then the subscription services, they're always on. I don't have a peer. I don't have a group of people that like recommend films to me, but apart from you, mainly, which is mainly you berating me for not seeing something, or <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, so I don't have personal recommendations. I don't really have websites. I don't really follow websites that might, that might point me towards this film which I have to watch. So I'm just not in that circle. So consequently, these things never really come up. And as we said in our recent podcast, it's a it's a full time job just keeping on top of the western stuff we have to plough through these days. Yeah. It is just kind of surprising, though, that you're right by countries who are doing things like the raid and on back and you know those kind of things. You're close. You didn't go and see the raid, didn't you? No, I didn't see the raid either. Oh my god, that was but, made by a guy from Swansea. Well, if, like you, if you told me that, <laughs> um, yeah, he he went to because he married a, a woman from what the Philippines or whatever yeah. it was, and and he'd done film school, but he was working in like a call center or something. And she said, "Well, you could go to the Philippines. They'd let you make a film there if you've got all the." The, the knowledge, and in fact, having a, a an English speaking contact to deal with all the people who might be financing it would probably give you a leg up. And off he went and made the raid. So, uh, yeah. To be honest with you, Wales does quite well out of this. I mean, we've just had Caradog James doing the machine. As well, well, yeah, but he actually made that in Wales. I know, but, but Wales is considered a country in its own right in some respect. Yes, so. well, it is. Well, it, it is. It's a country in its it's own not right. Not just a pencil, you know. I'm, I'm trying to get to the centre of this now. Is it just that you you haven't you you've not seen the point in subscribing to a service, or that in fact those services available. are yeah. not really well, available? He, said he doesn't have Netflix; they're not available. Oh, yeah, I'm sure well, there's equivalents out there. But the thing is, it's like, do you want to go get Foxtel or something like that? You know, and it's it, and it's uh, those subscription packages you want to get through television for those things. And it's like, it doesn't, it doesn't, I don't right, watch awful television at the, mo- at the moment anyway. So it, it's no, it's no, I'm like, aware no, of that. That's, no, that's that's fair enough. no what I'm trying to say is this is this is the thing for you for for, for the likes of you and I, Ian. What I pay what. Five pound a month, and then any as much Netflix as you can eat for five pounds a month. I don't think I'm going to get a five pounds a month deal for that. Exactly. One. That's why I'm saying there is no equivalent because you're imagining that I'm paying through the nose for dozens of subscription services. Now, as it happens, I am subscribed to three, but the total cost for all three is um, nineteen pounds a month. Yeah, that's it. That's to have all of the subscription services. So I've got Netflix, I've got Amazon Prime Instant Video, and I've got, and this is the one that costs the real, the, the quote unquote real money, because those two are a tenner. Then it's nine pounds for Now TV, which is essentially Sky Movies on Demand. So that's all newer films. So it, it's, it's, 
kind of like for £20 a month, you could just turn the tap on. I mean, we haven't got a television at the moment in yeah. the sense of what you would traditionally associate with a television. We just watch Netflix and, and all of this kind of stuff uh, because that's all we've got going on at the moment. And my and the, this is the thing. The fact that you were going, oh, well, I'm sure I could find it if it was – it was like, no – the service that I'm talking about has to be a no-brainer for people who are, you know, into this kind Pretty of stuff. Pretty much everybody I know in the UK has Netflix. Uh, they tell pay me, a uh, with your new house, you do have a spare room, don't you? Yes. Oh, good. Just checking. Just four times <laughs> <in> head. Yeah. <laughs> it's all right. We have spare rooms, Ian. We've even got a sofa bed set up for guests. Oh, well, I was, I'll probably get something more comfortable for a long-term basis. But anyway, yes, carry yeah, on. Well, oh, right, we've, got, we've got two spare rooms, in, and we're considering having a lock conversion done. So you're fine. Don't worry. On this slight diversion, though, the, the fact of the matter is that your, your exposure to certainly things like we've just talked about is limited. First of all, because unlike – I mean, this is weird. I mean, that's a weird thought that the UK, it's quite easy to get you – know, yeah. I mean, the fact that you didn't even have an opportunity to go to a multiplex and see The Raid – which people went nuts for in the US and the UK, is just mind-boggling. Because, yes, it did have subtitles, but in most other respects, it was just an action movie release. It was pretty much very similar to Judge Dredd, if you wanted. Well, yeah, Judge well, it, well, it was exactly... Should, 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 should yeah. we um, have our conversation about subtitles and dubbing now, then? Because I, I think, you know, I think perhaps there is an air of resistance to going to see yes. a subtitle film. And I, I said to you earlier, subtitles are a barrier to entry to which you which you quizzed, and I, I, yes. I kind of maintain I that. Put it this way, I want to put it this way. Yes, it's a de facto barrier to entry. There are people who will say it's it's like black and white is a barrier to entry. Now, and I think it's in exactly the same way. I'm, I'm going to put it this way. Um, I think. Subtitles are a barrier if you've got a long, hefty, weighty, speaky film. Yes. If you've got Gone with the Bloody Wind, you know what I mean, or something very Shakespearean or something very spoken with subtitles, you can have a nightmare if you're not into that. However, if you've got something like The Raid, where most of it is visual action, fast-paced things going off, you really don't care the what they're saying. Yeah, the speech is really there for clarification. Yeah. I, 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 just, I just imagine if I took someone new in Australia to a film, you know, let's go see a film, and it was a subtitled one, I think they would regard it as a very avant-garde choice on my part, you know? <clears throat> because I, I, also, it's also entertainment. People, people go there, we, we've trained people to go to the cinema to switch off their brain. Uh, and you know, and perhaps just engage would, things would, viscerally or emotionally with it. And so, I would dearly, I would dearly love for you to take one of these people that you described to see a double bill of District Thirteen followed the by the raid. Yeah, because, because I'd just be like, both of them. You don't need to. You yeah. don't need to pay any attention to the subtitles. You're just watching people kicking ass and flying around. Oh, all I, would, over the place I would say in, in parkour and yeah. You know, in District Thirteen, there are a couple of rude jokes which you would only get if you were reading the subtitles. But yes, yeah. largely speaking. It's just there to clarify who's supposed to be kicking whose ass and how hard. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just, I mean, and that's the thing. I mean, it's like, yeah, you take what, I mean, this is the thing. I understand the, the attitude because I think what I was saying is back in the late 80s, 
early to yeah early mid and through to about 1987 this is anyone's in the uk's attitude to watching a subtitled movie was oh not subtitles like that and now you know the raid was a massive cinema smash hit and nobody questioned anybody going to see it and particularly because of the fact that we've had things over here like on back which again is another film in which the i mean most of the most of the lines in that film are where where's my my Buddha? buddha and and Warrior King is... Where's, where's my, my elephant? elephant? <laughs> yes, these are the things. These are the plots. Ong Bak is a, a, a film in which uh, the, the uh, Muay Thai uh, sort of uh, prodigy, uh, Tony Jaa, plays a, a simple man from, uh, I think, an Indonesian, yes, an Indonesian village Hi. whose uh, local god... Is it Thai? Thailand? Hi. Thai, sorry, Thai village, whose local god, his Buddha statue, is taken by criminals for some shady purpose. And he goes to the big city to retrieve his Buddha, beating up a lot of people along the way to get his Buddha back. He's gone to see he's gone to see a man about a god. Yes. And then uh, he made Warrior King, or Tom Yong-Goon, as it was known in its original Thai, in which um, Tony Jaa plays a simple lad from a Thai... Stop me if you've heard this. <laughs> thai village, whose sacred elephant is stolen by bad guys for a shady purpose. So he goes to the big city to retrieve his... You see where I'm going with this? Well, They're you know, with... how many American films have we shown out where someone's brother or father has been killed? Oh, yeah, no. They're not really concerned about the what they're saying or the plot. They're concerned about the action. They about... have an action sequence in which he goes up something like eight flights of stairs. Well, it's not he... stairs. It's a big spiral, spiral building. Sta- spiral it... building staircase while beating people up and he does it all in one shot. And it's famous for that, that he did it all in one shot. And it's beautifully coordinated and beautifully choreographed and it's absolutely stunning to watch. And that's what you're watching it for. You don't care that he's running around and, basically and going, gets, where's my elephant? Well, that's the point. He goes, there's this like eight-minute sequence of him walking up this spiral and people running towards him and him throwing them through doors and off things and into, you know, uh, and beating people up and, and whatever. Yeah. And the the shocking thing is, I, I think I'd have to point out to people that was all one take for them to realise, you know? Yeah, and, I, and, and, and at the top, he goes through a double door and goes, where's my, my elephant? elephant? That's it. And that's, that's <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They're not bothered about the lines. All they're bothered about is you understand he's going after the elephant and then beating people up along the way. Yeah. So, you know, they're not bothered about, you know, it being the most cohesively, you know, wonderful plot written, you know what I mean, and beautifully scripted thing in the world. They're more worried about you watching him, you know, backflip over things and jumping over buses and doing all the other things that he does that are absolutely visually amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think one of the things... I mean, the point is that we have in the like in in the UK and America have come to a point, I think, where people recognise that uh, a subtitled movie can be as much of a dumb popcorn action flick as you know an existential you know any a subtitled movie needn't necessarily be existentialism and cigarettes yeah. and blah 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 and all this. Um, and and it's just incredible that there's an English speaking country left in the world where people are like, subtitles. That's a bit posh. You're like, mm, not really. <laughs> insular, very insular. I mean, you know. Yeah. Uh, but um, just to move on to the main feature, as it were, for me, there's only really been one foreign film which I've was was so thought of that such a thoroughly entertaining thing. I might, I can't remember if I bought it or just rented it. 
but I I saw it probably with you, Leo. It was Brotherhood of the Wolf, and oh, yes, so, and I either rented it or bought it for my brother, and it was over his house for Christmas with my mum. We stuck it on as a, you know, it's a foreign film, but you've got to watch this. And it it we saw the subtitle version, but the default version you get on the disc is the dub. And there yes. was nothing. There was nothing intrinsically wrong with the dubbing. It it was just that I think that it was it was somehow taking the sheen off it somehow. Even though they hadn't seen the subtitle version, they were kind of agreeing with me. And there was one part where he he's on. He has to get this boring guy away from the woman he wants to talk to, and so he flatters the man and says, "There's someone downstairs who wants to speak to you, or something like that." And when he heard it in English, it sounded like this guy is really dumb. But we actually went into the menu options and turned on the subtitles to hear in original French, and all of a sudden that scene was just so much better and more believable to do to, to experience the subtitles. And it was it was quite a kind of oh it's it's not that there is something about subtitles I think which which gives it an air of interest that you don't get even when it's a very good dub I, that that was an experience that stuck with me but Brother of the Wolf was was an amazing film yes it is it is an incredible uh, well as the, the 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 thing they put on all the posters was Jonathan Ross telling everyone it has to be seen to be disbelieved which is like you know you're just like what the hell is this and and indeed uh, french cinema as a whole and the director in particular has never managed to scale that height of uh, mashing up alexander dumas and jackie chan martial arts to such a degree ever again it's a really interesting uh, hybrid film yes the, the thing that leaps to mind uh, after that is um uh, although it's not quite as bonkers uh, directly is that unleashed with jet lee is very much like a cross between dickens and uh, jackie chan martial arts movie the only reason that it doesn't scale the same heights of bizarreness is that the alexander dumas martial arts mashup happens in the time period uh, so you're like You've got all these people like, you know, roundhouse kicking and leaping through the air and being ninjas in the middle of, of a period Alexander Dumas movie, whereas Unleashed takes place in the modern day. So the Dickensian part is kind of put to the back, but it is Dickensian. If, if, if it had been a full on, like they'd have got all the costumes and what have you and done it in the 19th century with Jet Li kicking people's butts while they're all wearing stovepipe hats, I'm sure the film would have got more like, what? But uh, yeah, that that's not what happened. So, you know. But yeah, so so yeah, that is a great, and and I think that's the point where, that you you uh, make very much there is that there's something about the people saying, like even though uh, even subtitled translations aren't exactly a hundred percent, you get enough of the sense to know what's going on, and then you hear the actual dialogue and what was really weird was going to see uh, Jet Li's hero dubbed into French because the the Jap- yes the- apparently you took your mother to that yes yes your mother still goes on about this to this day that you know Leo took her to see a film that was technically neither English nor nor she basically basically had she had to watch was something a, with French yeah, subtitles it was a Jet well, no it was a Jet Li Hong Kong movie. Yeah dubbed into French. Yeah. So you had all these Chinese people. Worth, uh, worst Mother's said, Day gift like, ever. What? No, we just we just <laughs> happened to be in France and I saw Jet Li on the poster and was like, 
I, I've never heard of this Jet Li movie. I really want to see it. So we went to this French cinema and we watched it. And if you've seen Hero, which nobody here except me has, but most of it is lots of martial arts and it's really visual. I mean, there's a lot of colour and it's, it's kind of a precursor to that whole Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon thing. Another film that, that broke the barriers of, you know, that came out at the same time as Gladiator and people went nuts for it. Hero is kind of like a more martial version of that. Uh, now, the most confusing thing about that movie, if you are watching it in a language that is not your own, dubbed from another language that is not your own, is the fact that it has that thing of he said, she said, except it's like what the soldier said versus what the king said or what the lord said. And so you see the same event with a slightly different... Uh, it's a device that was often used uh, in sitcoms such as The Fresh Prince of the ba- of Bel-Air, where it says, uh, oh, yeah, no, I'll tell you what really happened, and then they play the same scene again. Now, hang on, he- isn't there a very famous Japanese film from way, way back that does the same trick? Oh, it's, yeah. Oh, it was a uh, book. It, it does something that's it's the same story told from several different point of views regarding yes, murder. Yes, yes. so it, it, it pays homage to that. I can't, oh, you're right, and I can't remember the name of it right now. And it's, on the, it's one of those things, it's on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember it. But yes, it is that. And if you're watching it in front, you're, you're like, I don't understand. These guys seem to be the same guy, but they're not, but it's all different. I don't know what's happening. And they also, when they tell the story in one, it's all orange. And then they tell it again, and the whole same thing happens, but it's all blue. And then they tell it again, that's, and it's all green. Just proving Leo's French isn't as good as Leo thinks it is. Well, no, I could, <laughs> ju- I could just about follow what was happening, but not... Epically. And then I saw it again. But the, what was really uh, interesting was that then I saw it again when it got its Western release, which was a full like two years after that. Um, and it was subtitled and in its original language. And that sort of cleared things up for me uh, as to the plot. But the other thing is that um, just because you, you don't understand the actual words that are being said doesn't mean you can hear this, the, the, how loud the, act, the original actor is speaking, uh, to uh, the sort of intonation of his voice, the, the way that he's hitting the syllables, all of these kind of it's things. It's that pronunciation yeah. thing. It's, it's how you're using your voice thing. Yeah, yeah. It's, all these things add up together to mean that, you know, you should be listening to that and then maybe you can read a translation underneath. But if you get a dub, the actor's going to, the other actor is going to, you know, you've got two choices there. One is that the actor that's dubbed over them is just doing it for rent money, in which case you get a lot of this, ah, your technique is still very good. Yes, but now we will fight for the you know, and they're just reading literally what's off the page quickly onto the thing to try and match it up to, to when people's lips are sort of moving. Or they take time and trouble to do a sort of actorly dub, which is what is on the Brotherhood of the Wolf. But the problem with that is that then the new actor kind of takes the translation and gives it their own spin and it doesn't quite match. It's not going to quite match what the original actor was trying to do or trying to say. And so, and sometimes it's even distracting from the, you know, like, mm, I'm the, I've got two things going on in my head at the same time. At least with subtitles, you're hearing everything and seeing everything that the actor did. You just happen to have to read a translation of what he's actually saying at the bottom. So, which is why subtitles are infinitely superior to dubbing. The end, uh, we can all go home now. 
Well, uh, this may all be true, but is, is there an air of snobbishness about it as well? Because like I say, subtitles are, are a barrier to entry, and I think people who enjoy film kind of like the fact that Riff Raff isn't coming in to see that their precious foreign art. I, I would say that it's it's sort of a... a it, it's only a barrier to entry in the sense that the people who don't want to look at subtitles... Oh, I don't want to look at subtitles ever! And, and the people who are like quite happy with subtitles and know why, in many cases, they are superior to uh, dubbing in so many ways, are just like, no, please, just give the subtitles a chance. So really, it's a barrier created by those people who don't want to do it. It's not really snobbish. It's just saying, no, you'll have a better time with this if you watch it with subtitles than you would if you watched it dubbed, trust me. And the reason that I know this to be true is because... People don't really insist that people watch Spirit, uh, Miyazaki Spirited Away with the subtitles on. I don't believe that there's anyone who would claim you'll have a better time with Spirited Away with subtitles instead of the American dub. Because the American dub is done with these actors, you know, like proper actors. And the, the animation style is such that, you know, it doesn't really matter. There's no lip syncing issue. And so it is essentially the same film, just dub, just with an English soundtrack for the, the dialogue and people do, I don't know anyone who says oh no you have to watch Spirited Away with the original subtitles because it's pointless and where it is pointless people who generally would say I would watch this one with the subtitles will go oh watch the dub it's, there's no difference there's no difference between well I think two. animation is a slightly different creature and dubbing is a different proposition for animation than it is for for film oh, not always but I well, I'm willing to concede that it's not. It's not a not all, no. Nothing is absolute. I'm willing to concede that. But as as a general rule of thumb, well, I, I for example, that you watch a dub of Akira instead of the subtitled version. Uh, they say that the, the subtitled version is better. That the voice actors bring something to Akira that that dubs just don't. So you know that that. So it is an issue sometimes. It's just where it's not. People who generally will say you'll have a better time with this movie with subtitles. I'm sure if there was a live action movie again. Oh, we never discussed uh, Run Lola Run. I'm not sure that that would make much difference if it was dubbed or in the original. Uh, German. I think that's a, yeah, I think that's one. Due to the fact that again, this is a film that it's, it's makes largely no kinetic. I wouldn't say action. I would say kinetic. It's just movement. Yeah. Yes. That poor woman's breasts just get constantly battered by being run around constantly. Yeah, running, 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 running. Oh, and she was very beautiful. Stuff. But anyway, carry on. But that that was uh, uh, something I saw, and you know, again, that's a film that I think got a more wider, got a more Western release because it, it has philosophical elements to it about chaos. And you know, all, some people really take it as like kind of inspiration. Go, yes, this this explains my worldview about how all these things are emotional, how all these things connect together, and how one pebble can change everything. We we just got to the end of it. We we're like, so what was happening then? <laughs> I was like, uh, because I mean, yeah. And, and then I looked up, and it turns out that you know we're not supposed to care. That's the the essential thing is that it, it's all about um, it's all about the experience and not about whether it makes sense or not. And I was, it was what was really interesting to me was that I watched that movie and I kind of went, so what did the guy who directed this do afterwards and found out that he directed one of my favourite films of the last couple of years, Cloud Atlas. So hmm. there we go. How huh. strange. And then came The Passion of the Christ. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yes. I've never seen that. Well, I know how it ends. So <laughs> Have um, you seen that? Me? Yeah. 
No, no, I never, I never saw it. I didn't really feel no. the need to. Yeah. I'm not if I'm familiar You've enough with the story. Sue's going to tell us about the Passion of the Christ now. Of course, I was made to see the Passion of the Christ. Okay, well, how were you made? Made to, to see by it? the cult you were living with at the time, I believe. No, it was more the fact that you called what? Right, it was more the fact that. I remember my mother going, oh, my God, it's blasphemous against Catholics. Oh, my God, oh, my God, this, uh, there's all this kind of stuff. Oh, we need to watch this and, and have a look at what's going on. So, yeah, I was... Oh, right, okay. It How is it blasphemous uh, against yeah, Catholics, exactly? Because uh, Mel Gibson's kind of like his, his father's a member of a sort of Catholic sect. I realise that. But, but, but how is... Because it, it, is, it is the visceral telling of, of the passion story, isn't it? I thought that... Uh, well, Sue... Right, well, all I know is my mother was, at the time, they'd heard reports that it was blasphemous and, you know what I mean, that it was, you know, done in a way that was blasphemous and therefore then she was insisted that we all sit and watch it because my grandmother's very Catholic and, you know, we must make sure that this film, you know, who this man who took Braveheart and nicked my grandfather's kilt and all this kind of stuff, you know, did not do anything to our dear Catholic, you know, uh, yeah, basically. What, what was the post-film review of it when she was done? Basically, we all came out of that going, it was kind of boring, wasn't it? That was, that was, the, that was, it was like, my gran was like, well, that was the Passion of the Christ, and me and my mum was at there going, well, that was boring. While we're on the, uh, while Apocalypse, we're on the... Well, we're on the subject, though, Apocalypto. Yeah, Apocalypto was much better. Yes, Apocalypto was a good movie. Apocalypto was much, much better. But Passion of the Christ was a little bit bloodthirsty, uh, very anti-Jewish. Yes, anti-Semitic, uh, I think yeah, is the word. Very against Jews. Yes, those poor Romans being forced to crucify someone. Yeah, they really kind of blamed the Jews for everything. I guess it's probably um, the source yeah. text, to be honest with you, though. But anyway, sub- a, a unrelated subject matter. But Apocalypto, much better film, in your opinion. Yeah, yeah, which Apocalypto, again, brilliant film. Yeah, which again is, is... Just as bloodthirsty, yeah. but... Use that idea film. of... Well, yeah, I think there was a thing about it being... I think as soon as you get it wander into choppy waters from a controversial point of view, as we discussed before, there is a tendency that that's going to colour the way that you even approach the project. Whereas Apocalypto being about human sacrifice in sort of Central America, you know. Well, then again, there is a bear trap to kind of say that you know this culture, because it had human sacrifices, therefore tainted and doomed. It's like, well, it's one of the things they did, guys. It wasn't everything they did. Well, yeah, but whatever. I, I, regardless, the point is that there was a film where the film. I mean, you know, Mel Gibson's there taking a choice to make things subtitled esque because. It's a filmmaking technique in that case. Well, he wanted it's to make a, an authentic uh, film about the events of that film as he possibly could, so he wanted authentic dialogue as close as he could get it. Yeah, yeah well, I think but I think there's a sort of idea that, you know, particularly in Hollywood, if you're Mel Gibson making Apocalypto, you know, somebody's going to come to you and go, yeah, but who cares? There's not much dialogue in it anyway. Why not just have it be American dialogue? So it is an authenticity, yeah, it's an authenticity choice. But I think it is also a choice of, to a certain extent, distancing someone who speaks English from the events in the movie, which are kind of extreme. And maybe it would seem a bit sillier if it was actually in English. I don't know. But it is, yeah, I mean, there we go. That's someone who's just decided to go for authenticity. I mean, that's one of the things in Cloud Atlas as well, is that certain sequences in Cloud Atlas uh, have subtitles. 
whereas other sequences don't because some sequences take place in countries where people would speak in a foreign language and other sequences take place in English-speaking languages, countries and situations. So there we go. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, subtitles are a means to an end as opposed to being... They're just like, you need to understand what people are saying, so we didn't do it this way. Uh, and, I, and, and, and then somebody said, well, you could just dub the voiceover, and they tried that. But I, I do think that there's a serious impact. If, if you will, my honest opinion, what I've come to believe in the course of this conversation is that watching a dubbed version of a foreign movie actually presents you with a greater barrier to understanding what the movie is about than reading some bloody subtitles. Because you end up in this situation where you're like, I don't really get it because you've got too much stuff going on all at once. So, yes. So do we have any more treasures left in our shoebox that we can shake out? Um, I think we've, we've pretty much covered. I just, you know, I wanted to hit all the, you know, all the main, main sort of things that we weren't going to discuss elsewhere because subtitles. Are, and if Justin had been here, I'm sure he would have gone on about Jeunet and Caro. He's going to kick uh, himself for not being here, you know. Yeah, what was it? Delicatessen, uh, City of Lost Children, uh, you know, stuff like that. Anyway, so yeah, so we got Delicatessen, City of Lost Children, Mick Max, which I've still not seen. There's a particular visual style there, which I I don't think anyone here is qualified to, to sort of People talk about. No, I think that's- Justin. People did go on about City of Lost Children when it was when it was around, when it was a thing. They, they did rave about it for a short little while. Yeah, the problem I found uh, with it is, again, uh, story-wise, it made no sense. So I just like, okay. And then people are like, oh, but it's not about whether it... I mean, this is one of the things. If you make a film in the English language and it makes no sense, people tend to just go, well, it doesn't make any sense. And yeah. then it's forgotten. Weirdly, if you make a film in a foreign language and it makes no sense, you end up with, you can have El Topo, The Holy Mountain, City of Lost Children, uh, many Japanese sort of horror movie type things, even Bangkok Dangerous, some of those action movies with the crazy animated roosters and just, yeah, weirdly, people still give it the time of day, even though... Surely now it's got subtitles and it makes no sense. But f- two wrongs in this case apparently make a right. Well, I, like I said, I think it's an air of pretension about it. So you can be, it, it can be very, you can feel very but, intellectual and cultured at the same time. Uh, are you saying? Are you saying that people who like El Topo are pretentious? Yeah, yeah you're probably right yeah. about that. But I'm still thinking about. Um that film that was the photographer in Africa. The photographer in Africa. I can't remember the name of the film now. We watched it together. In a cinema or on television? On TV. No, that wasn't Africa. You're mixing two films up there. Which one? You're thinking City of God, surely. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. City of God followed by City of Men. Yeah, I mean, people make, made a big fuss about that, but I think, to be fair... City of God more fits in that category of worthy film. I mean, this is the thing. People view foreign cinema and, you know, when you, you know, something gets on a local cinema that has subtitles, that it's because someone in the cultural ether has decided it is worthy and you must see this movie. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, things like Pan's Labyrinth cross over in that respect. They, They are both a worthy film and also a thumping good 
popcorn adventure. Yeah. But then things like City of Men, I think people only sit down to watch that because yeah. it's it's an important it's quote unquote important. Yeah. And so yeah, so that, that's that's where where we are. And, and I think well, things like. The other end of that extreme, things like Shaolin Soccer are just a bit of fun. Oh, good Lord. How could we forget Shaolin I Soccer see, and Kung Fu Hustle? Yeah. Yes, I think that's probably the best place to conclude. If you if you want to get as far away from the idea of a fuddy-duddy subtitled picture as you possibly can, get hold of a copy of uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Or Shaolin Soccer. Or Shaolin Soccer. Like that, just yeah. crazy stuff. Ian, again, I mean, I'm asking just out of out of politeness more than anything else, but I'm assuming you've not seen these movies. Uh, no. Uh, if you'd be right. real friends, yes. you would have told me they were there. That's your triple. You need to find one of these people who's like, oh, I was a bit avant-garde watching stuff with uh, subtitles and show them District 13, Warrior King and Kung Fu Hustle. Yeah. By the time they get to the musical number with the axe-wielding gangsters, <laughs> they'll just be like, what the hell? Yeah, I think I think they'll have just given up on the idea that subtitles are pretentious and snobbish and pop by then. Yeah. Wow, that's a crazy <laughs> evening cinema you got you got planned there, right there. Good lord. Um, so yeah, no, I think that that pretty much uh, yeah. Stephen Chow, crazy. I don't know what I mean. He he did some stuff and then he did some more stuff and then he's gone very quiet recently. But basically. Um, if you think of uh, taking uh, Looney Tunes and mixing it up with Kung Fu movies, that's a Stephen Chow feature right there. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, consider me recommended. Um, so, yeah, and I think that's, uh, yeah, I think we've now sort of covered the, the ground. I mean, I'm not saying, to be honest, probably anything that we revisit over the years 2000 to 2009 because it will have come into the cinema at the same time. And that's the thing, I, what I really wanted to kind of dig into in this episode is things that, you know, we got them at a different time to everyone else, uh, and therefore they wouldn't get considered on a year-by-year basis. But I think what we've uh, name-checked there for anyone who's listening is things that if they haven't seen them and they're into genre cinema, you should rush out and watch these movies, you know, in a big stack immediately and <laughs> and don't be scared of subtitles because no, they're, 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 fun kind of, they're kind of too fun not to worry about the subtitles yeah yeah so there we go uh ian final thoughts yeah i i, I have none i'm afraid i am i am devoid this was not my uh special subject as i have proven multiple times throughout the podcast Perhaps. Uh, yeah well i mean are you are you going to try and uh ferret some of these things out i mean i'm imagining that uh, across uh, not just youtube but vimeo as well you'll probably find that there's a sort of liberal attitude to sharing these foreign language masterpieces yeah. with the world due to the fact that they're in a foreign language and... you'll probably find things like kung fu hustle and challenge oh, who knows who knows things like that around yeah but yes so so it, it, have we intrigued you Primed you to. I, I, I have no barrier or, or resistance to a film, especially if it comes with a personal recommendation. I'm always willing to do it. And certainly, if I was popping around your place and you were sticking on something with subtitles, we'd watch many subtitled films together. They, they Taxi and so forth, and various Kung Fu what's it's. Um, so there's no resistance for me. It's, it's just kind of knowledge and opportunity is, is all I'm lacking. I think Ian needs to come over for a month and just sit and watch films. Just a month, you think? <laughs> uh, so, fast yeah. forward, no, I'll read quickly. <laughs> so there we go. Um, 
You've just reminded me. There was that terrible thing we watched. This is something we'd not recommend to you. Wasn't that? I was thinking earlier. One of the things that there isn't very much of in the foreign language uh, thing is space opera. And I remember we watched that thing. I think it was called Dante Thirteen oh, about the God. French space station. Wow, that was terrible. Yeah, keep away from that. Yeah, yeah, that's that kind of confirms what people think subtitled movies are going to be like, so, rather than denying it. Trapped in a cramped, claustrophobic metal tomb in space with a bunch of French people. Show me to the airlock. Yeah, yeah <laughs> with, on that depressing picture, I think it's probably time for us to say. Um, Bon voyage. Well, it's time to say if you'd like to recommend a subtitled film to us, you can go to our Facebook page, which you can find. But you can only do it in a foreign language at this time. And stuff that. Dub me later. Yeah. Which you can find at <laughs> Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as numbers, so 80s. Uh, please go there and like our pages. Our community hub, please leave a comment. We shall respond. We also occasionally, well, at least I do, post up links we find interesting. But podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards 80s Kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids.podomad.com, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of, jo- of your choice. Or download direct to your PC for dark reasons of your own. Now, at this point, at this, in the future, I will be recommending you to go to our archive uh, at this particular instant. However, this is not fully functional at the moment. It is work in progress. So in the meantime, I suggest you go to uh, leostableford.com where a full archive of all stuff. And in fact, I've been uh, doing other things on there as well at the moment. So I you know you, you, you were weighing in on the controversy with Assassin's Creed. Yes, I was indeed. Uh, so yes, uh, that they, these are the things that, that that go on in my little brain uh, at, at various times. Uh, so you can go there and, and see older uh, podcasts and new thoughts, fresh off the the burnt toast toaster type thing that is my brain. And uh, as just is not around, I'll tell you to go to his DeviantArt page, uh, just in white at DeviantArt, and don't bother looking for me. I won't respond. No, well, you're not. You you are. You are in the, the, the sort of uh, black hole of foreign cinema as it relates to Australia version of the internet. <laughs> so fun to uh, be alone. I just don't bother with people I don't know. That's the problem. Yeah. You're not, you don't really have a site. You're not really peddling any kind of wares no. like uh, some of the rest of us. Yeah. So there we go. And now, so now it is time uh, at last to say adieu. That's the word I was looking for. Arrivederci. Sayonara. And other things. Auf Wiedersehen. Yes, indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's the one. Um, we've said goodbye enough now in lots of very foreign languages. Something like that. Bye. Personally, I was very put out you wouldn't let me include Star Trek 3 in this episode. Klingon is a perfectly valid language.